Thank you, Chris. Uh, as uh, Chris mentioned, my name is Ranjit. Uh, I live in New Delhi. We uh, are married to Deepa. We have three children. Uh, Sanjana is 12 years old. Uh, Sandeep is eight, and Sanjay is four. We've lived in Delhi for 10 years now. After graduating from Dallas Seminary in uh, Dallas, uh, we uh, planted New City the last couple of years. Uh, New City is uh, especially among English-speaking uh, professionals in Delhi. Delhi has uh, around 25 million people. I don't know if you uh, are able to grasp that. It, size of Dallas, Fort Worth, that's where I flew from here. Uh, but 25 million people, second largest city in the world after Tokyo, uh, but less than 0.1% to profess faith in Christ. So it is a big city, but with a needy uh, kind of a city for the gospel. Uh, we planted this church uh, in, a, in, a, in a location that is known for uh, nightclubs and pubs. And I mean, it's the party scene in Delhi. Uh, it is referred to as the Sodom of Delhi because of a lot of things that happened there, prostitution, drugs, and all these things. Uh, but God, God kind of moved us into that space. We uh, started with eight people a year and a half back. Uh, we started worship last year in March. Uh, so it's been, it's been a little over a year, uh, but God is doing something beautiful. We are actually launching the second service in November, so things are going well. Uh, we have around 125 people in service. We have a lot of unchurched, a lot of seekers who come into the service. Uh, so it's been, a, it's been a great experience for us doing that. Now, India is in a very strategic time right now. Uh, India is, uh, uh, there was a recent statistic from Open Doors, which is actually an organization based out of here that does persecution watch across the world. Uh, and India is listed number 10 in terms of the most dangerous countries to be a Christian. And if you look at the top nine countries, it's either ruled by a violent dictator or, uh, or they're all war zones. So India is the first democratic country to be on that list. So things are getting really uh, difficult in some parts. Uh, cities are much safer. Cities are much more open to a lot of things. And uh, as long as you mind your own business, think things are okay. But if you begin to share the gospel, there are laws that are preventing people from becoming Christians. Um, it gets a little difficult in the rural part. So that's, that's the kind of the idea of India. India has 1.2 billion people. It is in the 1040 window. Uh, 1040 window talks about how there's, uh, the most number of unreached people group live in that part of the globe. Uh, there's 6,000 unreached people groups in the world. Around 2,000 live in India alone. And, and Delhi is the epicenter for, uh, for a lot of that action. So, uh, so we really uh, appreciate you guys for your heart for the nation. And even this morning, my prayer is, even as we look at God's word and we uh, look at uh, scripture, that your heart will be stirred for the nations. But not just for the nation, even for the city of Asheville, uh, for your own family, for your own neighbors. Uh, so why don't we look to God in prayer before we look at Scripture. Father, what a joy it is to be, uh, Lord, to be able to come into your presence. I pray that you will open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. We come with a posture of humility before you. Speak to us for we are listening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This morning, I'm going to uh, look at Psalm 67. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Psalm 67. We're going to look at how does a life on mission look like? What, what does it look like? How does that, when we say we are on mission, and our family is on mission, when our church is on mission, uh, how does that look like? And I'm going to place three things before you from this psalm. Uh, the first thing, we look at for verses 1 and 2. The first thing I want to place before you Somebody who has a life on mission, a life of mission, understands that the purpose of your blessing is mission, right? That's an understanding we have when we are on mission for God. The purpose of blessing is mission. We, uh, 
I know you picked this up, this theme last week when Chris talked about, even traced it back from Genesis, from Adam and Eve, and even uh, through the life of Abraham. Uh, we see a similar theme in this passage in Psalm 67, right? So let's look at verse 1 and 2. Verse 1, it says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your word may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. This, this psalm is in the context of a thanksgiving celebration, right? They're celebrating, they're thanking God around harvest time. And as the psalmist writes, uh, the psalm is rooted in two Old Testament texts. The first one is in Numbers chapter 6. It is referred to as the Aaronic uh, benediction or blessing. <coughs> and uh, Aaron is given this thing to pronounce the blessing upon the children of Israel. We, look this, uh, we see this in Numbers 6.25. I'm going to read it for you. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So as the psalmist is writing this psalm, uh, he's referring back to number six. That's another verse in the Old Testament text that is, it is alluding to that is in Genesis 12. It is actually the promise God gave to Abraham. Genesis 12, 2 and 3. I want to read it for you again. It says, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Right? So we understand the purpose of blessing. We see this, uh, the, this idea of blessing, and, and this, the psalmist writes, may God be gracious to us and bless us. And as we look at this psalm, we understand that the psalmist understands something very important. He understands that God's blessing is rooted in his grace. It, it is rooted in his grace. He says, may God be gracious and bless us. We don't deserve God's blessing, right? We, we are people who've fallen uh, from his favor, from his holiness, from his glory. But it is through Christ, by faith, by grace. Uh, God does not give us what we deserve. That is punishment and alienation and curse. But he gives us what we don't deserve. That is his love and his mercy and his grace and forgiveness and blessing. God's blessing is rooted in his gracious character, in his gracious activity. That's why he says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. The psalmist also takes a posture of prayer, a posture of supplication. He has a posture of deep yearning for God, a deep longing, a deep desire for God's blessing, his favor, his grace, his timing, His glory. But as we begin to see this verse, uh, we, we, we look at verse 2 and we understand God's blessing is always in the context of mission. His blessing is not so that I can make my name great. It is not for my glory and fame. It is for His glory. And we see this traced through the passages of Scripture. Verse 2, it says, uh, why, why should God bless me? Why should God be gracious to me and make his face shine upon me? Verse 2, that your name may be known on earth. Your saving power among all nations. So that your glory may spread to all nations. We begin to understand when we are a, having a life on mission, when we understand the mission of God, we understand God never calls us to toward himself without moving us toward the world. 
God, God invites us in to send us out. God, God calls us into an intimate relationship with Him to enjoy Him so that we can serve sacrificially in this world. He brings us together so He can scatter us among the nations. The purpose of God's blessing is mission. When I was in college, I got a chance to come to Auburn uh, to study, as uh, Chris was mentioning. And growing up uh, back in India, I had an Indian dream. And the Indian dream was to pursue the American dream. So we, uh, we, uh, we studied hard. I mean, we would, we would study hard, try to crack the GRE that is uh, you need to require to get into grad school. Uh, we finally did that, me and my friends, and we uh, got into grad school with a full scholarship. Uh, of all the places, we, we, I did choose Auburn. Uh, uh, and, and I enjoyed it. I, I loved the U.S. Right? I loved everything about it. Uh, I, even as a grad student, uh, and I was teaching, and I was doing some research, but I was earning more money than my dad. I mean, I had a comfortable life. And, and I would, one of the things I would do is I would take pictures and send it back. And one of the first pictures I sent home uh, was my refrigerator. Right? I, I, I would go to Walmart, and that was itself an experience. The Supercenter started in Auburn. I would go to that, buy... Uh, the sweet tea, uh, uh, the great value sweet tea, which is sweeter than any other things, and I would buy that. I would buy pecan pies, I would buy donuts, and I would stock it with, uh, with ice creams and all these things, and I would take a picture, and I would send it to my family. I'd say, this is what I'm eating. This is the American dream. I love it. <laughs> this is amazing. I enjoyed it. I loved it. Right? And one of the things in Auburn they would do is, uh, every time they win a football game, they would go to this place called Tumor's Corner, and... Uh, uh, and they would roll these toilet, uh, toilet rolls on trees and stuff. And, and uh, this was uh, fascinating, right? And uh, uh, I was uh, a little scared at the beginning, but then I realized it's unused toilet paper, so it's all good. So, uh, so I, I bought a cheap camera from Walmart, and it's a camera that you can take pictures and throw it away. So I bought that, trying to take some pictures. In the first uh, couple of weeks, uh, Auburn won a football game. So I was a tumor's corner. And as I was taking these pictures, uh, I saw my friend, a classmate, uh, she's a pretty blonde girl, and she was walking. I said, hi. Uh, she, she said, hello. And I, and I said, hey, can I, can I take a picture with you? So she said, yes. And I gave it to my friend. I said, you stand there. You take the picture. I'm going to be here. So, uh, so I was getting ready. Like in India, when you take a picture with, uh, uh, with, a, with a woman, there is a healthy distance, right? So uh, I was getting ready. <laughs> I was getting ready with my Indian stance. And I got my hands on the side, and I'm, I'm getting ready. And uh, this girl, I mean, she put her put her arm around my waist, right? And I, I, I don't know what to do, and I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to figure this out. I'm, what am I supposed to do? And I'm, not, I'm clueless, right? Uh, and there's something else you guys do. I don't know if you uh, noticed that, but uh, no offense, but you get your cheeks close to each other when you take pictures. <laughs> I don't know about that. So I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting ready with this, and she's got her cheeks next to me for the picture, right? So listen, I was uh, young, and I, I was having a good time, but uh, so... Uh, I took the picture, took the picture, sent it back home, okay? <laughs> sent it back home. So a uh, couple of weeks later, my, my mom doesn't want to talk to me, and I didn't know what was going on, right? So, so then I asked my dad, why don't, you, why don't you give the phone to mom? I want to talk to her. Uh, he said, no, she, she's really upset. And I said, what, what about? Uh, he said, it's about the picture. I said, what picture? He said, the picture with a girl. Uh, my dad said, my mom has been fasting and praying. That I, don't, that I don't fall into temptation in the U.S., right? <laughs> but this, is, this was my story. I came to the U.S. I loved it, right? I loved it. Uh, I, I still remember when, we, when I moved 
40 people showed up at the airport. They were so excited because I was the first in my family to come. Uh, they, gar they gave me a garland and all these things, and it was just fascinating, right? But it was here in the U.S., in Auburn, right, where I went to a gospel-believing church, a church uh, where I would see young people leave the comfort of the U.S. and go to remote parts of the world to serve. And I'm like, dude, I'm trying to come back here. What, what are you, where are you going, right? And God, God started stirring my heart. And I thought, I worked all my life for the American dream, right? I want you, and I love this idea of America, right? But it was here that God gave me another dream, a dream for the kingdom, a dream for the gospel. And as I would hear the message of God come to me, and I, and I suddenly realized the American dream became pale and dim compared to the glorious mission of the Lord Jesus. And I began to realize it's a question of what I value. It's a question of what I glory. It is a question of what I worship. A lot of times it is, it, is, it is my reputation, it is my success, it is my dream, it is my pleasure, it is my... It, it, there is nothing more glorious than the mission of Jesus, but yes, there is something else, which is me. It is me, it's my comfort. And I begin to notice in, in Scripture, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he, uh, he tells us a parable, a couple of parables in uh, Matthew chapter 13. And, and Jesus talks about this man who went on a journey to find, look for these fine pearls. And Jesus compares that to the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, uh, this man found this one great pearl and he sold everything he had to get that pearl. And Jesus is talking about the value of the kingdom. The, 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 the immeasurable value. Jesus talks about another parable about the treasure. A man comes across a treasure on a field, and he, and he knows that it's a treasure, so he buries the, it in the field. He goes, he sells everything he has, and he buys the entire field. Again, the value of the kingdom of God. So this morning, I want to ask you this question, my friends. We are all on a mission. We are all on a mission. The question is, what mission are you in? What, what mission, what, what, what wakes you up in the morning? What, what are you willing to live for? What, what are you willing to die for? Is there anything else you're willing to sacrifice apart from your dreams and your aspirations? Listen, we are, God has beautifully gifted each one of us with, with gifts and talents and passions. We are all designed to build things and organize and create and nurture and lead and serve it in so many amazing ways. But my friends, uh, all these wonderful passions and gifts come under one overarching mission of the Lord Jesus. I remember a story uh, from a movie uh, that I watched a long time back. And it's a story about a, a man called Ryan Bingham. And he, his job is to travel across the U.S., uh, to, uh, for his work, uh, but in this movie, the story goes like this, that he, uh, all his life, he, he wanted to uh, uh, achieve 10 million miles. It's, an, it's a target that he had in his mind, and not many have achieved that number uh, in terms of travel miles. So that's the premise of the story. So everything he does in the story is about that, right? The, the kind of suitcase he buys and how he packs and what kind of line he stands in and where he eats and what airline everything is about achieving this goal of 10 million miles and in the story uh, his friend asked him uh, but it's just a number 
it's just a number. But he says, no, it's not just a number. It's, it's more than a number. He says, when you achieve 10 million miles, there's not many who've done that. It's less than 10 people, according to the story. And he says, uh, you get a lifetime executive status. You get to meet the chief pilot when you achieve that number. Your, your name is written on the side of the airplane, right? So he's like, this is my dream. This is my goal, right? And in the story, he, he achieves that. He becomes the youngest man to reach 10 million miles. And he's flying uh, in this airplane from one place to another. And his name comes on the, uh, the, the radio of the airplane. And they say, uh, Ryan Bingham, you, you're the youngest person to achieve 10 million miles. The chief pilot walks in. He gives him a platinum card. And he looks at the chief pilot. He says, I have dreamt this moment in life uh, all my life. I've been dreaming about this moment. He said, uh, Ryan says, I, I've been rehearsing this moment. I've been thinking about the conversation I'll have with you all my life. And the pilot tells him, uh, so what do you want to say? <laughs> he says, I don't know. <laughs> and, and the story finishes how he has his platinum card, he has his status, uh, but, but he, he is all alone. He doesn't have anybody to enjoy it with. He's sad and lonely. My friend, the purpose of God's blessing in your life is for mission. It is for mission. And somewhere down the line, if you think about kids, and I think about my kids, and I ask my daughter, what do you want to become when you grow up? And she said, I want to, I want to be an author. I said, why? She said, I want to make people laugh. And I asked my son, uh, what do you want to do? He said, I want to be a football player, the real football, uh, soccer. Um, <laughs> He said, I want, I want to be a football player, right? And then my youngest son, he, he's in this phase where he feels like he's the smartest and he's the fastest. He's four years old. He, he is, uh, he's, so he, I'm like, what do you want to be? He said, I want to be a soldier. I want to protect people. Children always, when they think about the, <laughs> when the life, they think about mission, right? They don't talk about, I want to sit at a desk and send emails all day. That's not what they talk about, <laughs> right? All the movies in the world, all the stories we listen to, it's all about people going on mission to rescue or save someone or something. But something about our adults, we, we lose that sense of mission. The purpose of blessing is to be on mission so that His ways may be known across the earth. His glory and His fame will be spread. His saving power experienced among all nations. Secondly, the purpose of blessing is mission. Secondly, the power for missions is joy. The power for missions is joy. Let's look at verse 3, 3 to 5. It says, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Selah. Verse 5, let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. We, we see, notice something, verse 3 and verse 5 is repeated, and it's, uh, uh, it, it's called the chiastic structure in Hebrew poetry and literature. Right? It, it's the same thing, it's like a sandwich, right? you can even call it a sandwich. Right? You have the, the bread on both sides, you've got the good stuff in the middle. So it's got two things that are repeated, something in the middle. You see the phrase that's repeated, verse 3 and 5, it says, uh, let peoples praise you. Let, let people praise you. Again, four times, right? This idea of praising God, worshiping God. But in verse 4, it describes it further. It says, let nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the people with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. 
And I was thinking about this. Why would, why would people, why would nations sing for joy and be glad about the judgment of God? Aren't you supposed to tremble? Aren't you supposed to be afraid of that? Not when you understand the gospel. Not when you understand the gospel. When the nations, when people see the beauty of the cross, where justice and mercy combine together on that cross, where Jesus took what I deserve, oh, and he gave me what, I, what only he deserves, glory and honor, where he saved us and redeemed us, where God had adopted us as his children and gave us a glorious inheritance when people hear this, understand this, and experience this, my friend, it is a source of great joy. And because God is our Father, He guides us and provides and counsels and comforts and leads us. It is a life of joy. Joy fuels our mission. Joy propels us toward others. My friends, as we serve Jesus, we are not serving out of duty. We are not serving out of guilt or fear, out of compulsion. We don't worship a God who will get back to us. It's just, that's not the way we worship Him. It's out of joy. And the beauty of the gospel, oh, and the beauty of Jesus and what He accomplished for us on the cross, understanding how God is supremely holy and how I'm so sinful, how on earth am I going to bridge that gap apart from what Jesus has done for me? My friend, that moves our hearts, that motivates us. It is joy that propels us in the midst of disappointments and fears and troubles. And as God's family, like even I'm excited to hear about what happened last night as God's family when we come together, when we serve together, when we give sacrificially, when we lead faithfully, when we live justly, when we share the truth graciously, out of joy, my friends, that's attractive. The world takes notice of that. There's something different. We are on mission out of joy. It is out of joy. It is joy. And in our email back and forth with Chris, he did talk about uh, Alabama football. I got a little pushback, and I almost didn't come. Uh, <laughs> that's the real story, right? <laughs> but he was trying to convince me about the joys of Alabama football. I get it. It's a little misguided, uh, but I get it. He's experienced something, and he wants me to know about it, right? And we do this all the time. Oh, you go to a, a good restaurant. You want your friends and family to go eat that. You go to a beautiful place or see a scenic thing, you, you want to share it with others. Right? You, you, you talk about sports and music and food and all these things. We want our friends and colleagues and neighbors, everybody to experience what we experience is coming out of a place of joy. Nobody will tell you, how dare you're trying to make me happy. Right? As followers of Jesus, oh my friends, when our life is changed by the gospel, when we understand that our, that we have a deep relationship with the Father. We understand what Jesus as an elder brother has done for us. When we experience freedom and forgiveness. Oh my friends, our heart is moved. And it is out of gratitude. It is out of joy that we want to engage with people. That is evangelism. That is living a life on mission. As we've tasted that the Lord is good. As we see his righteous justice, 
and His peace and His love and His grace. We want others to experience the same thing. Evangelism and, and living on mission is so much enjoyable. It is so spontaneous when it comes out of a place of joy. As we behold the beauty of Christ, and that moves our heart to be filled with joy. That is the power for missions. So the purpose for mission, purpose for blessing is mission, and the power for mission is joy. Lastly, lastly, the promise of renewal is for now and forever. The promise of renewal, we see that in verse 6 and verse 7. Notice it says, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us and let all the ends of the earth fear him. We notice it's a future setting. It says the earth has yielded its increase. My friends, missions, most times it's daunting. Missions most times is, is difficult. Being on mission, sharing and, and engaging, it, sometimes it seems hopeless. Sometimes, sometimes it seems overwhelming. And this is something we, we see that in India. I mean, it's a billion people. What are we going to do? Our church is 100 people, 125. The city is 25 million people, less than 0.1 who profess faith in Christ. It is there. It is, it is hopeless. I remember reading stories of uh, missionaries and uh, William Carey who moved to India to serve. And uh, he, he, on, on the way, his, he lost his children, his wife became sick and all these terrible things. And he, and he moved to India during that time and, uh, and he would go out and preach the gospel. Six months, one year, two years, three years, nobody, nobody would listen. Four years, five years, seven years. Can you imagine seven years in a place that nobody wants you? Nobody cares about the gospel? Nobody wants to turn and listen to you? Seven years before even a single person showed interest in the gospel. We remember, you know, my own lifetime, I, Gladys, uh, Graham Staines and Gladys Staines, these were missionaries from Australia who moved to India, and they, they worked among people with leprosy. In India, we have a certain view of people who are struggling because of karma. We feel like people, you are in poverty, you are in disease because of what you did in the previous life. So you need to suffer, right? Unless you suffer, you will not move to another place of good birth. So you got, you, they, don't, they don't treat them, they just leave them, right? And so these missionaries from Australia, given up all their comfort, they had come to India to serve these lepers. And there was an instance where Graham Staines, uh, the father with his two boys, had gone uh, to the mountains to, uh, uh, to camp, and they took the jeep, and they were sleeping in the night, and there was a mob of anti-Christian people who came and lit the jeep on fire and killed them, burnt alive. Sometimes the mission of God leads us to places that are uncomfortable. Sometimes the mission of God leads us to situations that are daunting or that are hopeless. But it is then we understand what Jesus says in Revelation 21, 5. Oh, Jesus says, I will make all things new as we partner with God. In the midst of the hopelessness, in the midst of whatever is happening, as we partner with God is what God is doing. He is renewing and restoring all things. But there is a day coming. Oh, there is a day coming when he will restore all things. He will make all things right. When there will be justice and there's no poverty and sin and sickness or disease. No more crying. No more death. Creation is renewed. 
People live in unity and peace. Nations experience healing. The land will leave this harvest. That day is coming. New heavens and new earth. And sometimes we lose sight of that. Or when you engage, you lose sight of that. And I had my own experience in this in the sense of uh, how we sometimes don't understand this. Right? And I, when, I, when I got married, uh, uh, when we were going to have a baby, I noticed something. So when we, when we got married, maybe it's a cultural thing, my wife would ask me this question. She would say, uh, Ranjit, tell me how much you love me. Do you love me? Tell me how much you love me. Uh, and, I, and I would try and describe all these things and come up with stuff. And, uh, but then when we, when we were having a baby, the question changed. I don't know how it's for you. Uh, she would ask me, Ranjit, are you excited about the baby? I would say, yeah, I'm excited, yeah. <laughs> I'm an Indian guy, I don't express too much. So she's like, oh, tell me how much you're excited. Right? I'm like, okay, I'll tell you. I can see, I can see the, the puking and I can see all this um, uh, stuff going on. Uh, it's, it's, pretty, it's a lot of fun. So yeah, I, I'm pretty excited. Right? <laughs> so the time of delivery came and in the US, you let the, let the men inside the delivery room. They don't do it in India, there's a reason, right? Uh, like in California, one of my friends, uh, he, uh, he was in the delivery room with his wife, and one of the things they tell us and tell you is uh, that you need to coach your wife, even through that process, right? You need to, uh, you need to encourage her, you need to, uh, you need to say push, right? And think about this, and this my, my friend, Indian guy, uh, the delivery was a slightly longer, four to five hours, and he's standing there, and he's like, push, push, come on, push. And if you, if you keep saying that invariably, you begin to push as well, right? <laughs> So he's doing this for three hours, and suddenly he burst his hernia, right? So they had to take him to another room and get him operated, and, and they're working on his wife, and there's a reason. Indians don't, they don't let Indian men inside. So anyways, I was in Baylor Hospital, and I was doing this, and I was encouraging her, and finally the time came, the baby came out, right? Uh, and uh, and uh, they, they, the, the doctor called me and said, uh, Dad, why don't you come to the side? So I went that side, they gave me a scissors, and they said, why don't you cut the cord? It was like sausage, in case you're wondering, I just cut the cord and... Uh, <laughs> and for the first time, I held my daughter. It was different. It was completely different. My life changed. Nobody had to ask me whether I love, whether I... Whether I make, everything changed. I'm in the presence of my daughter. Right? My friend, one day, one day, you will be in the presence of your Savior. The one who willingly gave his life you will be in his presence. And that day, maybe you're going through disappointments. Maybe you're going through hurts. Maybe you're going through misunderstandings. Maybe people ridicule you for your faith, my friend. But that day is coming. Oh, when everything will be made right. When every question will be answered and you will be at rest in the presence of the one you love and adore. And even today, even today, we live with that that is our consolation. That is our hope. That is how we engage in mission. So this morning, I want to ask you, do, you, do you see how God has richly blessed you? The purpose is to be a blessing, to be on mission. Do you engage out of compulsion or out of duty? Oh, my prayer for you is, may the beauty of Christ and the cross of the Lord Jesus Move your hearts to be on mission out of joy, out of joy. Maybe some of you are tired. You're ready to give up. May the promise of Christ 
be your consolation and hope. Let's pray. Father, as we bow our heads before you, we recognize that there is nothing greater, there is nothing more grander, or there is nothing more glorious than the mission of Jesus. Father, this morning I pray for my dear brothers and sisters. I pray for the families here and the children and the young people. I pray for this church. May they be so captivated by you. Oh, may their hearts resonate with your love and joy that they will be used by you, not just in Nashville. With the neighbors, with, with the colleagues and friends and family, but to the ends of the world. Bless them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.